Today, we're going to talk about what would Jesus undo, and I want to uh, set up this particular one with a little story. When we were kids, we would go to church camp, and uh, we were at this church camp, and you know, you would go to a lot of church, and and uh, then you would also play ball, and a lot of fun. It was, it, it, it was great, um, and there was this particular day where we were out on the playground, and the preachers were sitting at a picnic table, and they were dressed not like they usually are in church. They weren't in their suits, but they, they were wearing ball caps and jeans, and they, they just seemed more approachable. And there was this one particular preacher that was extra preachy, if you know what I mean. He, when he got up to preach, he had that uh, preacher voice, you know. He wouldn't just say, turn to Second Corinthians. He would say, like, and in the second letter to the Corinthian church. And then he had that little thing that he would do at the end of his words. Have anyone ever heard a preacher like that? And it just makes them sound a little more holy. You know, he has had that thing going on. And uh, uh, so, you know, but I saw him in his, in his jeans and stuff. He was like approachable and all that. So I was a little kid and uh, I went up to him and I, I grabbed his ball cap and I took off running and he chased after me and when he caught me he said, young man, do you know that you don't touch God's anointed? And I remember thinking, you're a jerk. (laughs) And it really sets up what I think Jesus would undo And that is that one of the things that Jesus would undo is he would undo hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. How many people know a hypocrite? You know a hypocrite? Anyone know a hypocrite? Yeah? How many people are sitting next to a hypocrite right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Just kidding. I think I've been specially, spiritually gifted to spot hypocrites. I can see hypocrites everywhere. You know, I just have that special spiritual gift. I have a superpower sightings of, of hypocrites. I can see them very well. I think in churches, though, sometimes we belittle the subject of hypocrisy by, by kind of suggesting that everyone's a hypocrite. So, so you've heard the joke where this man who doesn't go to church is bragging to the pastor. He says, the reason I don't go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. And the pastor says, well, why don't you come? We can always use one more. You know, that's, that, that's, that's the joke. And, and, and I've told that joke, and, and there's some humor in it, but, but actually I think we do a disservice when we say that joke because we really misportray what hypocrisy is. Because the truth is, there have been a lot of people who have been really hurt in churches because of hypocrites and because of hypocrisy. We saw a story come out this year that, that 300 priests over a 70-year period in the state of Pennsylvania uh, were found to be predators. A million young people who were abused of ones that reported and scores more undoubtedly that went unreported. It made theologian Brennan Manning say that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then they walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. 
That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable, Brennan Manning said. People today are turned off by hypocrites. So, so if I suggested that we may not understand fully what hypocrisy is, first let me explain what hypocrisy is not. As you're taking notes in your worship guide, there's a place where you can fill in the blanks, and, and after service there's, there's free notebooks that you can put them in and you can save these over time. But hy- hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. All that is is sin, and certainly the church is full of that. I can attest to the fact that I'm not everything that I want to be. That there's a gap between who I actually am and who I want to be as a follower of Jesus. Can anyone attest to that this morning. That's not what hypocrisy is. Because the truth of the matter is that the church is full of struggling, overcoming sinners. People who haven't arrived yet. But what hypocrisy is, is it's the gap between what we show and who we really are. So hypocrisy is that appearance that we're someone who we're really not. It's the appearance of spirituality and not really being able to live up to it. In fact, Jesus would rail against hypocrisy. Uh, um, It comes from a Greek word, hupokrites, very similar to hypocrite. But hupokrites was simply the mask the mask that people wore in, in the Greek theater, uh, how many have seen those masks, like the angry mask and the happy mask? Yeah. And you would wear that mask, and, 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 and so the word hypocrite came from that, which means to wear a mask, to put on a front, if you will. And, and I would argue that at the church, we can put on an angry mask. If you don't believe me, just turn on the television some Sunday and watch some angry preachers with red face just ripping against sin and they usually have a vein sticking out about right here. How many know what I'm talking about? It's, it's that angry and, and the, the hypocrisy of that is is that the preacher who is coming down against sin and against sinners is themselves a struggling sinner. That that person who is sharing that passage and that person who is, I, I, I remember in the church that we belonged to when, uh, when we were in Louisville, Kentucky, we had a man who sat on the front row and we were Pentecostal at the time. If you grew up Pentecostal, uh, anybody in the house know what I'm talking about? We, I mean, some church was fun. You never knew what was going to happen uh, when you went to a Pentecostal church. But there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of amen and People sometimes shout, but the guy that was sort of the the head of the A-man corner, he sat on the, he had, he continually had a hoarse voice because he was so loud in his A-mans. It made him, this man had to be close to God as loud as he A-manned and everything. But the truth is, the man, it was found out, was beating his wife every day. And yet, at church, he was coming across as if he had some kind of spiritual 
superpowers, and that's, that's what the Bible defines as hypocrisy. Putting on the show of, 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 um, that you've got it all together, that you're more spiritual, and, and not admitting the fact that you yourself are a struggle. Here's another one we put on the church, the happy mask. Melanie, do you have the happy mask for me? The happy mask is, uh, is, is the mask, you know, I couldn't find the Greek one, but I found the sort of the Facebook one. You know, we come to church like this. How you doing, sister? Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Amen. Every day's a holiday and every day's a feast. I don't know about you, but ever since I found the Lord, every day is sunshine. Sunshine and roses. I don't know about you, but we put on the happy mask. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's great. My life couldn't be better. Since I found the Lord, everything is just wonderful. And the truth is, that's a mask that we put on. How many know there's a difference between what we show and the way that things actually are? And Jesus had... No tolerance for this show that couldn't be backed up with a life. Titus 1.16 says this, They claim to know God, but, their act- but by their actions they deny Him. They're putting on a b- good show. They've got all the claims, but by their actions they deny that they actually know them. And Jesus would rail against people who would pray out on the street corners. You can see it happen you can see it happen down in Knoxville on Friday night. People literally dressed in robes, praying and reading the scripture. And by the way, ever know with holy people, the bigger the Bible, the better. The bigger the Bible, the better. There you go. And so the more holy you are, the bigger the Bible. You know, sometime I'm just going to bring my family Bible in so you know how holy that I really am. But out there with their big Bibles and they're, and they're praying on the street and, 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 and uh, Jesus said, don't do your praying for show. But when you do your praying, go into the closet and pray. And then, and then, and then some people were, were, were fasting for show. They weren't fasting closer to God, but when they fast, they just went around looking especially miserable. So someone could ask them, how are you doing today? Oh, actually, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. And, and, and it was a... And it was a, a way of appearing that you were spiritual. Appearing that you, that you somehow were above everyone else. Or uh, I saw a, uh, uh, an artistic rendering of someone who was giving to a needy family while at the same time taking a selfie of themselves. Doing our giving for a show. Giving in a way that, that, that draws attention to ourselves rather than drawing attention to God. Jesus isn't against the fact that we struggle with sin. Jesus knows we struggle with sin. It's the show that gets at the heart of God. And I would argue with Brennan Manning that there are scores and scores of people who are staying away from church because they feel that the church is full of people who are acting as if, but in their actual lives, they're not able to. To live up to that. Jesus, 
when he walked into the temple and saw the show. He didn't just say, oh, you guys ought not be doing that. No, he took a whip. He drove out the money changers. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. Because it was the show. Amen. In Matthew chapter 23, there's a famous uh, section that we learn in seminary called the seven woes of, of, of uh, Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus says, woe unto you. And when he says, woe unto you, it, it means be afraid. Judgment is, judgment is coming to these kind of people. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? He said, those are strong words by Jesus. I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm fascinated by snakes. Did you know that right now in Knoxville, there's something called Repticon going on, where every weekend till November, you can go and see snakes and anacondas and lizards and all kinds of things like that. Did you know in Virginia, show this picture, last week there was found a two-headed snake. Yes. I just wanted an excuse to show that picture. I think Jesus was saying, you guys act like one thing, but you're, act, you're like two-headed snakes. You act one way, but you're actually another way. You are a brood of vipers. You are snakes. Mm. You know, social media is a great place for, for people looking perfect, isn't it? People, you know, oh, oh, yes. In fact, as a pastor, I just got to be honest, I see pictures of other people's churches. And in all the pictures, it looks like everything's perfect. When you look at the pictures of those churches, you know, uh, and sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, this morning we had a problem with the sound system. This went wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing seemed to go right and blah. And, you know, you look at that picture. How many know that, 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 that one of the reasons that we struggle is because we look at people's highlight reels while we're dealing with the behind-the-scenes stuff in our own life. How many know what the behind-the-scenes stuff is like? In our, we're, we're looking at everyone's highlight reels, everything that, everything that goes perfect, and everything that, and so on, on Facebook, it's like that song on the Lego, everything is awesome, everything is awesome. You know, it's just like everything is, you know, on Facebook, every, my marriage is awesome. You know, I've been married 31 years. Didn't tell you that 20 of them were horrible, you know. Not in my, mind, in my case. Just, I'm just using a fictional <laughs> example, you know. But well, you know what I'm saying? Everything looks perfect on Facebook. Everything looks, you know, or, or you have that beautiful Instagram picture of a coffee cup and the, and the uh, smoke coming up off your coffee cup, doing devotions, reading my coffee. What they don't know is you took much more time creating that Instagram thing uh, than you actually did doing your devotions so that, so, that you could, so that you could give the appearance of that I'm spiritual, that I, I had somebody just this week, I felt like I was being tested by God. 
I got an inbox from somebody from my high school class that I never hear from. It was an inbox. And here's all she said. I saw the pics. Your family is perfect. To which I said, absolutely. No, that's not, that didn't really say that. I saw the pics. Your family is perfect. I'm going to actually take out my phone. I'm going to read to you what I wrote back to her. Your family is perfect. It is, isn't it, Natalie and Christiana? Isn't our family perfect? I wrote back to her. I said, beneath those pictures are heartache, pain, sadness, and difficulties, as in all families. I I just wanted to leave it at, thanks, my family's perfect. But I felt I was being tested. I was preaching on hypocrisy. And I thought I better just fess up and say, my family's like your family. We got a great family and we do a lot of fun things, but you're only seeing the highlight reel. There's a lot of behind the scenes. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Hypocrisy. It's called hypocrisy. Hmm. In seminary, we were taught as pastors to, to sort of have the pastoral mystique. And literally, we were told, you know, we were warned about becoming friends with your parishioners. You know, you're the pastor. They're the lay people. And if you get too close to the lay people, they might see some of your flaws. So keep a distance from them. In fact, just to make it so they know you're a little special, we're going to put you on a big king's chair behind the pulpit. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of sit up there in a king's chair on a throne. And when you get up, you put on your preacher voice. And you don't high-five people. You, you shake their hand with that pastoral, very concerned look. Because I'm a pastor. All of that is that, that creating a mystique. All of that is, is show so that so that people might not see that we're just like everybody else. And we have struggles, and we have things we go through just like you all do. Amen? Amen. Amen. You didn't have to amen my imperfections that loud, but uh, (laughs) you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. (laughs) I remember... And in the denomination we grew in, that was, I think, even extra big deal. When you were Pentecostal, to be a pastor, pastors were just special. You had special parking. You had all kinds of special things when you were when you were a pastor. And uh, and and I remember I was an assistant pastor at this church, and it was Sunday night, and it was my turn to preach. And Sunday night's a big deal because Sunday night in a Pentecostal, honestly, Sunday morning in a Pentecostal church when I was growing up was kind of your boring Sunday school type thing. But Sunday night, man, that's when the choir sang. That's when Sister So-and-So might run around the church. I mean, it was crazy on Sunday night, you know. Sunday night was Sunday night was the big... We actually had more people on Sunday night 
than we did on Sunday morning. So I got up to preach, and when I got up to preach, I came down off the pulpit, and I remember I was nervous. I was scared, and I came down on the floor, and I said, tonight, my message title, and by the way, they called me Brother Nordstrom. My message title is, I'm Phil, and I'm a sinner. That was the title. That was the get-go. But I took the title from Alcoholics Anonymous. When, when you, when you uh, are in Alcoholics Anonymous and you go to a meeting, when you introduce yourself at the meeting, you say, my name is Phil and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Bill and I'm an al-. You, you, you introduce yourself that way. So I introduced myself as I'm Phil and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a recovering sinner. And I kind of went through the first three steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to share with people my struggles and, and my, my own, my own uh, um, struggles to the gap between who I am and, and who I want to be. And I was afraid to death. I didn't know if they'd ever let me preach again. But honestly, that was refreshing to a lot of people because it opened up people to say, I struggle just like you struggle. The truth is we're in this thing together, Amen. But there's hope this morning for the hypocrite. Matthew 23, 25, and 26 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. And So it's really important for us, church, to work on not the image. There, there's a commercial out recently, a while back, that said image is everything. No, it's not. What's inside is everything. Your soul is everything. And in and, 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 and the culture that says image is everything, Jesus said, don't worry so much about the outside of the cup. Work on the inside of the cup. And then that will take care of the outside of the cup. Because I would rather be an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. I would rather be an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. Proverbs 28, 13 says it this way. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but one who confesses and renounces them finds mercies. Now, I I think we can go too far with this. I think we can just say, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner, and therefore I never get better. You know, I'm just a sinner. No, that's not what we're saying. Confessing the fact that we're sinners is actually a real step in getting better. Who confesses and renounces them? Uh, there's There's a great passage when when the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they come through the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming behind them and the waters come back over them and the Bible says, the Bible says that God said, these Egyptians that you saw today, you will never see them again. There are some things in my life, there are some issues that I deal with that I want them to be something that I don't always struggle with, but I want them to be like those Egyptians that that I get victory over them and I never see them again. Amen. 
Now, I got to tell you, once you get rid of those Egyptians, new Egyptians come up. How many know what I'm talking about? That in, that in, our, that in our overcoming of sin, we make progress in some, but then God shines the light on another area, and it's, oh, yeah, there's this area that I need to work on, but then I'm going to get victory over that area, and I'm not going to ever deal with that Egyptian again, and then I'm going to keep growing and growing in my, in my relationship with God. You are only as strong as you are honest. You're only as strong as you're... One of the reasons that I really, really, really believe in small groups, I've been hearing so many great things about our small groups. I know Janice meets today, but, uh, and I heard so many great things about her group but, and all of the groups, but, but what happens when you're in a small group is over time the mask begins to come off. doesn't always happen in the first week or the second week, but once you've been in someone's living room and eating, uh, you know, the popcorn at their house, after a while you get comfortable enough that the mask starts coming off and you can be honest with one another. And when the mask comes off, that's when healing comes. It's when we can be honest enough to say that we're fellow strugglers. Honest enough to say, you know what, I read my Bible on my phone, but on that same phone I look at images that I shouldn't look at. Or I act one way at the church, and I act another way on the job. I act like my marriage is perfect, but the truth is we're not even sleeping in the same bed. I act like I'm a perfect Christian, but I've got a secret addiction that I'm dealing with with. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for a sinner that admits, I need you, Jesus. I don't know about you all, but I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Psalm says, search me, O God. Search me, O God. Come on, Robert. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to say to God, God, I give you permission to, 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 to put the searchlight on my life. And I hope that's what happens when we're here, when we're in the presence of God, that we're just inviting God to search us. Help me see areas in my life. Help me to see that gap, Lord. Help me to take off the mask, Lord. And be honest enough with you so that healing can come. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is that gap between what we show and who we are. How do we, how do we close the gap? How do we close that gap between what we show and who we are? Well, we, let me tell you how we don't close it. We don't close the gap with perfection. And, and by the way, some of us grew up that way. It's called legalism where you just try, 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 try harder, try harder. Let's, and, and, and you come every Sunday for your weekly spanking to find out how far you far how, how, how far, far you fall short. 
I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to, okay, Pastor, thank you for that spanking. I'm going to go home and I'm going to try harder. You know, because we got the angry sermon. We got the angry, you know. And we walked away thinking, well, that guy's holy, but I'm sure not. And so you know what? Maybe what I ought to do is hide. If the way to be a good Christian is, you know, not to have any faults, maybe I just need to hide and I'll put on that smile and I'll act like everything's okay. God has no tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. So we don't close the gap with perfection. How do we close the gap? We close the gap with Christ. We close the gap by spending time with Jesus, being in his presence, the scripture talks about it's like gazing and the more we gaze at him the more we take on his nature the more we become like him that's why it's important folks that we that we worship together that's why it's important that we spend time with him so that we become can we become like him when when i preached that sermon back in seminary I'm Phil and I'm an alcoholic. My wife helped me with a sermon and she, uh, she has a background in, in, um, in counseling chemical dependent people. And she took the, uh, the three first steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first step goes something like this. I admitted that I was powerless to alcohol. And she made a two word statement out of it. And the two word statement is, I can't. I can't. That's what the first step says. I'm powerless. I can't. Substitute alcohol for whatever sin it is that you struggle with, whatever area it is that you're struggling with. And just the first step to getting to recovery is just to say, I can't. I tried. I just tried to get over it by doing, trying harder, working harder at it. That doesn't work. I can't. The second step of Alcoholics Anonymous is something like this. I came to believe that there was a higher power, or if you're in Celebrate Recovery, you name that higher power as Jesus. I came to believe that there was a higher power who could help me to overcome my alcoholic addiction, my alcohol addiction. Plug in whatever else you want to, whatever issue it is that you struggle with. Melanie put it into two words. He can. Number one, I can't. Number two is he can. Now those are great mental concepts. I admit I can't. I admit he can. The third step is really the rubber meets the road because then our act, our will gets involved because it says, so I gave my self over to this higher power. I gave myself over to Jesus to do what I could not do for myself. And so she made the third step, my wife made the third step of Alcoholics Anonymous to say this, I think I'll let him. I think I'll let him. If you could remember anything today, remember this, I can't, he can, 
you know it. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. If you'll admit that, God has zero tolerance. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. But he has unlimited grace for someone who admits, I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. Let's stand this morning. I want to lead us in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. Maybe you're here today and you have just ready to take your first step. This isn't the end of the journey for you, but it's this, the first step on your journey. And the first step is to say, I can't. I need you, Lord. If you're here today and you just want to say, Pastor, I need the Lord, and today I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to begin the first step giving myself to to the Lord today. If that's you, would you raise your hand in this building right now? Don't be ashamed. Just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Amen. Maybe you're here today with me and you just say, Pastor, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I continue to struggle. I'm a struggling. And by the way, my hand's up. I want Jesus to help me to continue to overcome my sins. Is that you today? Just raise your hand all over this building. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you right now for your, for your word, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that we're not helpless that when we we can't do it, you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You came and you gave yourself. You died for us on the cross. So we confess today that we can't on our own. But we also confess that you can. Today I give you my life. I give you my sins. I give you my struggles. I give you my future. And I turn them over to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. If you if you prayed that prayer, you're on your way to freedom and you're in a safe place this morning.